tonight. Yeah. Yeah, I remember to turn it on. <clears throat> okay, if you got your Bibles with you, open up the book of Exodus. Uh, we're going to continue to go through what we've been uh, studying in the tabernacle. Um, so by way of remembrance, we're going to run through a couple of the slides that I had showed you guys before. So uh, you can just click on the first one whenever. This is what the wilderness tabernacle would have looked like in, uh, in the desert as the children of Israel went through. Very similar to this. Uh, you'll see some other artists' renditions that will go into a little more detail. But you're going to have roughly this, this area of 150 feet by 75 feet that's covered by a linen fence. You see the linen fence around it. And all the children of Israel would have come into this area in order to, uh, to worship. They would all have to enter in through the east. The tabernacle would always open to the east. And the camps would always be encamped around it in the exact same way. The camp to the east of the tabernacle was Judah. That's important. Because we see in Hebrews that Jesus is a type of the tabernacle. Uh, every part, every piece, every, every piece of thread literally used within the tabernacle is going to picture Jesus Christ in one way or another. And we're going to see that as we continue to go through. We can take a look at that next slide. If you remember, this is how they would have camped. The east would have been the opening, Judah, the only door into the tabernacle would have come through Judah. The Messiah came from which tribe? Judah, the line of the tribe of Judah. And Jesus said, I am the door. The only door into the tabernacle entered through Judah. When the Messiah returns and he comes again into Jerusalem, he's going to enter from what direction? The east. He's going to come in through which gate? The east gate. And so we see that as we take a look at these pictures that we're going to be talking about going through the tabernacle, they're going to hold all the way through. They're not just going to be for a moment, but it's something that, that God lays out all the way through. In the next slide, you begin to see some of the, the implements. Now, when God lays out for us the work of the tabernacle, he begins in the Holy of Holies with the Ark of the Covenant. What you and I call the Ark of the Covenant is really two pieces of furniture. It is the box, the, the, the Ark of the Testimony, or the Ark of the Covenant was a box, four by two by two, into which at various times various things are there, but one thing is always constant, the Ten Commandments were placed within there. And then the second piece of the Ark of the Covenant is the Mercy Seat. The mercy seat is that part that would go on top, onto which the blood would be sprinkled. The mercy seat had to cover the ark. It was important. Actually, it's vital. Because when God looks down upon the children of Israel, He sees in the ark of the covenant all their failures. And it is covered by the mercy seat. The Greek word for mercy seat is the same word translated Propitiation. In Romans 3.25, we're told that Christ is our propitiation, or quite literally, He is the mercy seat. That He is the one who pays the price for man's failure so that God 
can look down on man and not see the need to judge, but rather his son's blood covering the failures of men. And that's indicated in the Ark of the Covenant. As you're considering that for a moment, just let me read a story to you. You guys don't have to turn there with me, or you can. <laughs> We're going to go to 1 Samuel. And take a look at what happens to the children of Israel in the, in the times when they didn't think they needed a mercy seat. First Samuel chapter 6. Uh, I'll go back to verse 17. It says, Now, these are the golden tumors which the Philistines returned as a trespass offering to the Lord, one for Ashdod, one for Gaza, one for Ashkelon, one for Gath, one for Ekron. Here's what happened. The Philistines got the Ark of the Covenant. They had it for a while. They put it in the Temple of Dagon. And when they put it in the Temple of Dagon, they'd stand up Dagon, they'd go out, the next day Dagon's laying on the ground in front of the Ark. So they'd stand up Dagon again, the next day Dagon's down on his face in front of the Ark again. Then they stand him up again. The next day, he's down. His hands and feet are broken off. His head is, is broken. He's destroyed. And so they decide, we don't want to have anything to do with this Ark of the Covenant. So they send it back. And these are some of the things they send it back with. But in verse 19, listen. It says, Then he, God, struck the men of Beth Shemesh, because they looked into the Ark of the Lord. He struck 50,070 men of the people, and the people lamented because the Lord had struck the people with a great slaughter. What happened? The Philistines sent the Ark of the Covenant back to the nation of Israel. And they decided that they would take off the lid and look inside and see if everything was still there. The point that the Lord is making is, apart from mercy, we have zero standing with the Lord. 50,000 men perish. And 70, 50,070. Why? 50 is the number of salvation. Salvation to the nth degree would be multiplied by thousands. And that salvation comes through mercy. Who was it that was supposed to be leading the children of Israel? The 70 elders. The 70 elders didn't fulfill their task. God strikes them, 50,000 and and 70 perish in that place. But the point, the issue that we need to see is apart from Jesus Christ, we have no standing before God. I mean, these guys just took off the lid of the ark. The Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews, that's all shadows. That's just pictures of the reality that's in heaven. So how much more judgment does a man stand before God apart from Jesus Christ? What does he face? What does he face? Not coming before the Lord with the covering of the mercy seat. And so the Lord begins with that. He begins with the Ark of the Covenant. He begins with that concept, folks, because he wants more than anything else us to have fellowship with him. And where did that take place? Between the cherubim and the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant is in the Holy of Holies. The Holy of Holies is 15 feet by 15 feet. The holy place is the next building. You see a little line there across the square. 15 by 15 is the holy of holies. Then we come to the holy place. The holy place was 30 by 15. 
In the holy place, we see three, uh, three pieces of furniture. Two of them we've already talked about in the book of Exodus. The table of showbread. Showbread means the table of his presence. Twelve loaves, one from each of the twelve tribes. There, indicating God's presence and God's ability to provide for his people. So we have that bread. What did Jesus say? Remember I said every piece is a picture of Jesus Christ. In John chapter 6, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He even points to the story of the table of showbread. He even says, your fathers ate bread from heaven and they perished in the wilderness. But I am what? The true bread from heaven. So Jesus lays out that concept to them. Then we also see the menorah. You remember Jesus teaching from John chapter 15, the menorah, seven uh, light candle stand, or not really candle, a lamp stand, gold hammered work. You remember we talked about gold always being that which shows us divinity. And so we see God hammered, beaten into shape. What did Jesus say in John 15? I am the vine. You are the branches. A candlestick was made of one vine, taller than all the other branches, connected with three branches on each side. Three branches on each side is six. Six is the number of man. Man is made complete. How? In a relationship with Jesus Christ in the vine. The only light in the entire tabernacle came from that lampstand. What did Jesus say? I am the light of the world. If you walk in darkness, if any walks in darkness, come unto me. Jesus would grant that light. He is the light. And who are we? We are light bearers, light reflectors. Everything within the menorah shined on that one central stand. Everything reflected on the vine. The branches didn't shine light of themselves, but because they were attached to the vine. And so we see the same thing And then we have the altar of incense. We haven't gone into that yet in the book of Exodus, but that is where the prayers of the saints would be offered. The prayers of the saints, the altar of incense, that intercessory prayer. What did Jesus say? I always live to make intercession for you. Jesus Christ in heaven praying for us today. In everything, we're going to see him through it all. We go to the next slide. We'll take a look. This gives us the basic structure of the tabernacle. Now, tonight we're going to talk about the linen fence around the outside. We're going to talk about the veil. We're going to talk about the doors, the materials that made up the actual building or the tent. So while we're going through it, uh, I think we'll hold on this one for a while. And, uh, and then I'll, I'll, we'll, we'll go forward as we uh, get into the other parts of it. But 150 feet by 75 feet, roughly the size of it, and then the tabernacle itself, 45 feet by 15 feet. So as we take a look, let's take a look at what the Lord has for us tonight as we look in Exodus chapter 26 as they continue this building. And I want you to see, as we go through, I want you to see or or have your eyes open to see Jesus Christ in everything that we're talking about. So, In chapter 26, verse 1, Moreover, you shall make the tabernacle with ten curtains of fine woven linen and blue and purple 
and scarlet thread with artistic designs of cherubim, you shall weave them. So the first covering that's going to go over the tabernacle is going to be made up of four materials. Every time we see four, as we're looking at four in the Bible, I am personally reminded of the four Gospels that point or speak of Jesus Christ. Now, maybe you've heard, maybe you've seen the, that the Gospels give us the life of Christ from four slightly different points of view. Matthew shows us Jesus Christ as a king. John shows us Jesus Christ as deity. Mark shows us Jesus Christ as a suffering servant. Luke shows us Jesus Christ as the perfect man, Adam, the second Adam. And so, as we look, if we consider those four colors, blue being the color of deity, speaking of the heavens, purple, the color of a king, red, the, the, the scarlet, we'll talk about in just a moment, and, uh, and the linen, the purity. Now let's look at the four Gospels again. In Luke, Jesus proclaimed unto us as the, the perfect man, Adam, complete with, yet without sin, pure. The white linen would speak of that gospel. We just studied the gospel of John. Jesus presented his deity. Blue would have spoken toward that gospel. Matthew presents us Jesus as a king. The color for the king was purple. That represents that gospel. Now, what about scarlet? What about this scarlet? Listen, I want you to to get an idea of the picture in the Hebrew that's painted with this word for scarlet. The word for scarlet is toliath, the toliath. If you, in fact, if you look into the New International Bible Encyclopedia, it gives you the definition for that toliath. The toliath is a worm. It's a worm. It is a worm that they crush in order to make scarlet or red. They crush this worm. Anything that we read in the Bible, it's not there on accident. It's not just accidentally brought to point. It's, is there anywhere in the scripture that the Messiah ever said he was a worm? Psalm 22. Psalm 22, which is Jesus' very words from the cross. He says, I am no man I am a worm. You want to take a guess at what word he uses? Toliath. That worm that is crushed in order to bring about the scarlet color. Well, there's a little more to it than that. You see this worm, when it gives birth, will climb up in a tree and attach itself to a tree. When it gives birth, it will die. When it dies, the spot where it was attached to the tree, it will leave a scarlet dot. On the tree. And in three days, that scarlet dot will turn white and flake off. Do you think that's really just on accident? This worm that makes red, whom the Messiah, speaking in Psalm 22, says, That's what I am. I am the Toliath. I am that scarlet worm. It gives birth attached to a tree, just like Christ gave birth to the church attached to the tree. When he died, when his side was pierced, the first Adam from his side was taken Eve. The second Adam from his side was birthed the church. 
The Bible tells in the book of Isaiah, though your sins are red as scarlet, they shall be what? White as snow. So the red speck on the tree in three days, how long was Jesus buried? Three days and he rose again. The red turns white and flakes off. It's truth. And that's the word for scarlet. Scarlet speaking of the sacrifice, the sacrifice of the suffering servant written of in the gospel of Mark. All four colors attribute to four gospels. All four gospels speaking to us, telling us of Jesus Christ. Everything, every piece of fabric used is going to point to him. Well, look what they do with these, this fabric. It says, now, with artistic designs of cherubim, you will weave them. So they're going to weave all these together. So you're going to see blue, scarlet, white linen, and uh, blue, scarlet, white, and purple, all molded together. And then inside, you're going to see cherubim. What's a cherubim? The cherubim are the angels. What do angels have to do with Jesus? Well, how many times, when Jesus was born, who was there? The angels. Angels singing out that he was born. Now, when Jesus was 40 days in the wilderness being tempted by Satan and that was over, who ministered to him? The angels. Angels went and ministered to him. At Gatshmone, at the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus was sweating great drops of blood, what does the Bible say? That an angel ministered to him. Ministered to him. All throughout his life, we see angels ministering to him. Where do we have on the mercy seat? Two cherubims looking down on the failures of men. Placed between them would be the blood of the Lamb, the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, when you walked into the tabernacle, if you looked up, you would see cherubim, angels, looking down at what was taking place in the holy place and the holy of holies. All the blue, all the scarlet, all the linen, all speaking of Jesus Christ. This is going to be the first covering that goes over. How many do we see? We see ten. Ten is the number of human responsibility. The number of uh, the Ten Commandments. We see the ten plagues. We see over and over God using that as a number of human responsibility. So we have this ten representing human responsibility. Like the law in verse 2. The length of each curtain will be 28 cubits and the width. Of each curtain, four cubits, and every one of the curtains will have the same measurement. Five curtains will be coupled to one another, and five curtains will be coupled to another. So you have two groups of five curtains joined together. Five joined over here, five joined over here. Five in the scripture, it's a number of grace. It's a number of grace. We see in the ten... The ten are going to separate. They're separated. Why? Because the ten commandments, the law of God, separates us from a relationship with God. But look what happens. He says, now you will make loops of blue yarn on the edge of the curtain and on the self edge of one set. And likewise, you will do the other set and the other curtain of the second set. So you're putting loops in the edges, just like you would in a curtain you're hanging in your house where you would have the loops that would go, the curtain rod would go through. So you have these loops on one, and you have loops on the other. Set in blue, blue picturing heaven, heaven from heaven. We're going to see what's going to bind the two together. And you will make 50 loops. 50 loops you shall make in one curtain, 50 loops you shall make in the edge of the curtain that is on the end of the second set, and the loops 
that the loops may be clasped together. Fifty, again, is the number of salvation. Why? Because every 50 years was the year of Jubilee. All debt was forgiven. All things were set loose. Every 50 years. Every 50 years, if you were pounded by debt, the year of Jubilee set you free. 50 speaks of that salvation. And so we have 50 and 50 brought together. What are they brought together by? They're brought together by 50 clasps of gold. Literally, we have 50 clasps or 50 rings of gold. Rings in the scripture speak of love. Gold speaks of deity or divinity. God's love from heaven brings it all together, holds it all together, holds together the top of the tent. It brings together grace to cover the the breaking of the law, man's inability and his human responsibility to fulfill what God is calling for. Fifty rings of gold, couple the curtains together with the class so that it may be one tabernacle. One. And we, being many parts, are joined together to be one church, one tabernacle, one church, God bringing it all together. Now you will also, now, so we have the first covering, right? It's pretty. Blue, scarlet, white linen, purple, pictures of angels on it. It's pretty. And then we have a second covering over the top of that. The second covering, you shall also make curtains of goat's hair to be a tent over the tabernacle. And you will make 11 curtains. Now before we made 10, right? We're going to make 11 now. 11, and these 11 guys are going to be bigger. Why are they going to be bigger? Because they're going to cover over everything else. They're going to cover over what we just saw. Now, that exact material that we're just talking about is what every door is going to be made of. It's what the veil in the temple is going to be made of. And the book of Hebrews tells us the veil in the temple is the body of Christ. His flesh broken for us. Just like the veil was torn from top to bottom, that is the picture of Christ. Remember what did Jesus say? I am what? I am the door. How many doors were there to the tabernacle? One. What is it covered by? The same material that was made up of the veil. What is the veil? The flesh of Jesus Christ. So through the door in the tabernacle, you see the colored at the east end. That door going in pictures Jesus Christ as a door. The door going in the tabernacle itself, again, made of the same material. Again, picturing Jesus Christ as the only way to come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. All these things we see as we go through. Now, the length of each curtain in verse 8 shall be 30 cubits, and the width 4 cubits. And 11 curtains will have the same measurement. And you will couple 5 curtains by themselves. 5 is the number of grace. 2, 6. 6 is the number of men. And you shall double over the sixth curtain at the forefront of the tent. So you're going to fold back the front so that the main material, the material that is also used of the veil, is able to be seen. Fold it back so that you can see the door underneath. Five and six brought together. And you will make 50 loops on the edge of the curtain that are the outmost of one set. And 50 loops on the edge of the curtain on the second set. And you will clasp it together with 50 bronze rings. 
50 bronze rings. It's not gold this time. What is bronze in the Bible? Bronze always speaks of judgment. Judgment. There has to be judgment. Judgment for man's failures. Now, either you and I will pay that price or we will receive the free gift of that price poured out on Jesus Christ. But one way or another, it will be paid for. It will be judged. It will be brought together. So when we see bronze, you're going to see a bronze labor. You're going to see a bronze altar. What do they speak of? Judgment. On the altar, sin is judged. In the bronze labor, we're washed clean. Washed by the water of God's Word. And so we're going to see bronze always speaking of that judgment. You will make 50 bronze clasps, put the clasp in the loops, and couple the tent together that it may be one. Again, joined together. Now the remnant that remains of the curtain of the tent, the half curtain that remains, will hang over the back. The point is, it covers it all. The only part that is visible is a part that's folded back, which is the door walking into the tabernacle. The extra that's left over from the 11 is going to cover the back. If we go to the next slide, I think I got it, you'll see what we're talking about. Underneath, you have the pretty fabric. You're going to have all these boards of gold that we're going to get to in a moment. Over top of that fabric, we have goat. Goat covering up the, the, the divine picture of Christ underneath. Why? Because goat is that sin offering. On Yom Kippur, two goats were brought up. One became the scapegoat. The sins were confessed upon it and it was set free. The other died and his blood was sprinkled on the mercy seat. And so we see this covering that Jesus is more on the inside than what people would see on the outside. First, he's covered over with goats, speaking of that sin offering, that sin sacrifice. But look at verse 14. Now you shall also make a covering of red, uh, a ram skin dyed red. What does a ram skin speak of? Genesis chapter 22, you remember Abraham took his son to the top of Mount Moriah. Mount Moriah is Golgotha, Calvary, where Jesus would die on the cross. When he was offered, as the knife was plunging down, the angel of the Lord said, stop, and gave him what? A ram in the thicket. And the ram becomes the substitute. So we have a sin offering spoken of by the goat hair. We have a substitute sacrifice spoken of by the red ram's skin, which would cover over the sin. Cover over the sin would be the red or the substitute sacrifice. And then the last covering, the fourth covering over the top, again in verse 14, and a covering of badger skins above that. Now, for you and me, that would be like uh, rock chucks. They're everywhere, right? No shortage. There are no shortage of badgers there. Badgers everywhere. It was common. It wasn't a fine, fancy covering. It was kind of a humble covering. Covered over the top of everything else would go the badger skin. Speaking of 
humility. Isaiah 53 says of Christ, what? He has no form or comeliness that we should desire him. He didn't look special. He didn't look better. He didn't look different. He fit in with everybody else. If we go to the next slide, and actually uh, that gives you a little more of an idea, the coverings, you see how they're going to cover the whole thing. Now, it wouldn't have been laid in layers. It's laid in layers so that we can see the different, the different coverings. And if you go, we're going to come back to the next one, but go to the next one, actually to the last one, and you, you'll get an idea. That is what it would have looked like. You wouldn't know what was on the inside at all from looking at that, would you? You wouldn't know that the entire interior of that tabernacle was covered with gold from looking at that. Any more than someone who doesn't have a relationship with Jesus Christ knows the beauty that is inherent in that relationship until you enter in. And once you go inside, you see the beauty, the marvel, the wonder. But from the outside, none of that are we able to see. We can't gain any of those things. Well, let's continue. We'll continue going through. It says now in verse 15, For the tabernacle you will make boards of acacia wood that stand upright. I got a slide that shows the boards. Can you see it, Cindy? That's it. That's it. You shall make uh, boards of acacia wood that stand upright. Ten cubits shall be the length of the board, and a cubit and a half shall be its width of each board. Two tenons shall be in each board for binding one to another. And thus you will make for all the boards of the tabernacle. What does it mean? Basically, you have something, uh, if, if you wanted to consider it like a, a, a 1 by 12. Actually, it's going to be 4 inches thick instead of 1. But you get the idea of the slab. At the edge of that board, there's going to be uh, like a tongue and groove. There's two dowels that stick out. And an opening in the other board for those two dowels to sit in. So that two will slide together. In a moment, we're going to see a bar is going to pass through the midst. There'll be five bars on top and beneath and then space between to help the wall stand together as one. But as we look at these boards, these boards, we consider what the scripture lays out for us. It tells us, guys, that we are the temple of God, that we are the building blocks, the living stones that God's putting together to build his house. When we see these, we're going to say, okay, if we're these, if we're these boards, if these boards represent us, are we able to stand on our own? No. We have to be joined to another. We're not able to stand by ourselves. We need to be joined together. And then we're also going to see that they're going to set in sockets of silver. Let's continue. Now the scripture continues to go on with us as it says, uh, now for that 10 cubits, I'm sorry, two tenons <clears throat> shall be in each one for binding one to the other. Thus you will make for all the boards of the tabernacle and you shall make the boards for the tabernacle, 20 boards for the south and you will make 40 sockets of silver. So if I have 20 boards and 40 sockets, how many sockets per board? Two. Two silver sockets. You see an example of it on the slide down below that become the base to these wood boards 
covered in gold. Wood boards covered in gold slid down into that base, held up, being joined to one another. What is silver? Silver always speaks of redemption. We cannot stand apart from redemption. Redemption, the, the, the tool, the money that was used in the temple to redeem anything was brought in silver. What was Jesus sold for? 30 pieces of silver. That's the price of a gourd slave. That's how much the world decided he was worth. The price of Christ. So silver is going to speak of redemption. It says you will make 40 sockets of silver, 20 boards, 2 sockets in each board, uh, and the 2 tenons. And for the second side of the tabernacle, the north, there will be 20 boards. So you have 20 on one side, 20 on the other side. We'll keep going. Now, there are 40 sockets of silver, 2 sockets under each board. Each one of the silver sockets would have weighed 264 pounds. For the far side of the tabernacle, the west side, you will make six boards. So there's six boards across the back, 20 on one side, 20 on the other side. They're all going to be held up by silver. Silver is going to be the foundation or the footing in which they are placed so that the walls will stand. Now it says, you shall make two boards for the back two corners of the tabernacle. And they'll be coupled together at the bottom and they'll be coupled together at the top by one ring. Thus it will be for both of them, and they shall be the two corners. So there are two extra boards put on the outside of the corners on the west side. So on the west side, we got our corners. We got all the pieces put together in the silver, coupled together. So there will be eight boards with their sockets of silver, 16 sockets, two sockets under each of the boards. And you will make bars. These bars... Uh, bars of acacia wood, five for the boards on one side of the tabernacle, five for the boards on the other. Five, the number of grace. Grace, these five rods are going to pass through golden rings, gold speaking of God, rings speaking of His love. By God's love, we have extended unto us grace. He's going to run five on each side and across the back to hold up the sides to hold up the pieces, to hold us together because we're held together in Him, in Christ, in the Lord. Well, these five bars of the boards on the other side of the tabernacle, five bars of the boards on this side and five boards on the west. you notice anything? Is there anything for the east side? No. Why? East side's the opening. There's no wall over the opening. How many doors are there? One. How many ways to God? One. It all came the same way. It all came through the east. It all passed through Judah. Messiah was a lion of the tribe of Judah. We're going to enter into a relationship with God all the way through, folks. In all these areas, God's painting a picture. He's painting us this so that people can begin to relate as we look at the scripture why is he telling all this to us think about this if we were to go to school walk around in, in an elementary school 
visiting different classrooms, you may pass by a classroom doing this. At least I remember this when I was in school. Every once in a while, it was story day. The teacher would set up front with a big old storybook, big old pictures. She'd read us a story. And that was the one day we were the quietest. As we were wanting to see how all these things came together. So the Lord has presented us a storybook that takes us through even then when you and I look back now maybe they never see this I'm sure they don't they don't understand what it's all about but you and I can you and I can look back and see wow this was all part of God's plan from the beginning how do I know because down to the tiniest detail of the worm that they crushed to make red I mean, of all the things to choose, there are so many other things that they, they could have been used, but they used that. And that spoke of Jesus Christ and the Messiah. Why a tent? Why does he use a tent? John 1, do you know that John 1 tells us that in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. And the Word became flesh, and what? And that Word dwelt is tabernacled. The word tabernacled with us. Shouldn't that open up our eyes? Huh. Why the word tabernacle? Well, isn't that such a great picture? God came and lived in a tent. Doesn't Paul say this body is a, is a tent? One day I'm going to cast this tent off and I'll be set free of all the, the bondage that I've been in with this tent. We understand that the tabernacle was temporary. It wasn't permanent. And so we see Jesus Christ tabernacling with us. I want you to think of something. What people group in the world cannot understand a story about a tent? Well, they might have a hard time with several things, but I can't think of anyone who wouldn't understand what a tent was. Just about every place I've ever been from Amazon rainforest to rainforest in, in the Philippines to Russia. And every place I've been in between, they understood what a tent was. If they understand what a tent is, then they can understand what God did for them. So God presents this book, this picture book that we can begin to leaf through, that we can begin to look through and see the things, the pictures of what Christ does for us, what Christ did for us, and how he opens those doors. Well, let's continue to take a look. Okay, we got these boards covered in gold. Now you think about this. You look at that picture. That's all gold. You remember what the last picture looked like? All covered in badger skin, ram dyed red, goat hair. All covered up. Nobody would know any of that was there. Unless they went inside. He has no form or comeliness that we should desire him. That's the way Jesus Christ came. It becomes this incredible picture. All these things covered up. Every little piece. Every part. For example, the five rods that are holding up the walls. If we, if we consider those planks to be us, the building stones of the temple of God, they picture us. Well, then what becomes those five 
rods that go across. While you're holding your finger there, remember Ephesians chapter 4. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul lays out for us, amazingly, in Ephesians 4, 11, a few things, gifts, callings, if you will, that God gives us. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and teachers. Any guess how many there is there? Five. What were they used for? The equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, literally so that the body might be mended together, so that it would be held together. Five ministries within the body. Some of those ministries within the body are visible, aren't they? So we have some of the rods that go on the outside. We have some of the rods that run on the inside. But there's one rod right down the middle that's inside, covered by the wood. No one can see it. Doesn't Paul tell us that each of us, like the body of Christ, are ministering in one way or another, and some of us are visible and some are invisible? For example, if you took your body... The most important parts you can't see. Can you? But you can't very well have your heart decide it wants to be a hand. Things aren't going to work very well, are they? The heart's not there. The body dies. The liver, the lungs, all of these are parts of the body. Are they visible? No. They're invisible. Their ministry is not necessarily seen, just like these Five, this fivefold ministry within the body that binds the body together, that holds the body together. The work of apostles, the work of the prophets, the work of the pastors, the work of the teachers, all of these things hold us, bind us together. So as we go on, we have these five rods. We have them held together with rings of gold. The middle bar, it says in verse 28, the middle bar passes through the midst of the boards from end to end. And you will overlay the boards with gold and make the rings of gold as holders for the bars. So what holds us up? Rings of gold. Ring speaks of love, gold, divinity. God's love holds us up as he extends grace to us, giving us the ability to stand together. It's laying out for us that work and ministry of what Christ does for his bride. All tied together by these minute details. Well, you will raise up the tabernacle according to the pattern which you were shown on the mountain. Now you shall make a veil woven of what? Blue, purple, scarlet, and fine woven linen. And it will be woven with an artistic design of cherubim. Remember, I told you that the scripture tells us that the veil is the body of Christ. In fact, if you turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10, we can read about it together. Hebrews chapter 10. Beginning at verse 19 says, "Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest By the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, he has consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh. Through the veil that is his flesh. What did the veil separate? 
The holy place from the holy of holies. What was in the holy of holies? The very presence of God. Only one man once a year could go and him only by a blood sacrifice to enter in and sprinkle the blood in the presence of God and then he had to leave. But when Jesus died on the cross, he cried out, Tetelestai, it is finished. And the veil was torn how? From the top to the bottom. You know that that veil in the temple, that wasn't the tabernacle, that veil in the temple took three hundred men to hang that veil was bigger than this veil and 10 inches thick at least some estimates put it at 18 inches thick if you can imagine a tapestry woven like that so thick so heavy hung up there in the holy of holies yet god tore it from the top to the bottom why so that you and I would know that we can now enter boldly into the throne room of God. We can go right in through the veil that is His flesh. His flesh broken for us. He died for us, rose again on the third day. We can enter in. We have that opportunity. But there's a warning, folks, that we need to understand. And here's that warning. You need to be careful that you're not sewing the veil up again. What did that veil separate us from? It separated us from the presence of God. And how were we separated? By our failure, by our sin, by those struggles that we have in our life. And Jesus paid the price for all those and it was torn. But probably every one of us at one time or another have said, well, I really need to get into God's presence, but gosh, I, I really need to deal with this issue in my life first. What is that? That's sewing up the veil. Does that issue separate you from the love of God through Christ Jesus our Lord? I think Romans 8, 38 and 39 say nothing separates us from the love of God. Why? Because the veil was torn. It is finished. Was there any sin that Christ paid for, any of our sin that was not still future when Jesus died on the cross? All our sin was still future. Did he pay the price for it all? Hebrews said once... For all, he paid the price for all sin. So the veil is removed. Until that time, the veil, the separation, is a picture of the door, the way, the body of Christ given for us. Every door made of the same material. Every door picturing him who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. But you and I, we have to be careful we don't sew it back up. I haven't been to prayer meeting. I haven't been to church very often. I can't really pray and ask God for anything. I used to do stuff like that. I used to think, you know, I, I need to, once I start going to church and I really get my life on track, then I can really seek the Lord. I'm sewing up the veil. I'm separating myself from Him. I'm separating myself, even though that veil is torn, it's obliterated, it's gone. And Hebrews said what? We can now enter boldly. Bold, folks, even when you've cleaned all up, I got news for you. You're still going in grungy. Even when you think you got it all put together, you're still seeking the audience with the king all dirty and, and filthy. So don't listen to the lies of the enemy that say you have to clean up. Jesus cleaned you up once for all. God wants you to enter boldly into the holiest place.
the Holy of Holies, to the presence of Almighty God. He wants us to go to that place. Look. And you shall make this, and you shall hang it on four pillars of acacia wood. Four. Remember I told you four always has me thinking of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Four Gospels. What do the four Gospels do? The four Gospels present Jesus Christ to us. The four Gospels show us who he is. The four Gospels, the four pillars. You'll notice in that back section, four pillars that go across onto which the the veil is going to be hung. How is it hung there? And there will be uh, hooks shall be of gold upon four sockets of silver. What did silver speak of? Redemption. Four Gospels tell us the story of redemption through which, through whom, we come to know who Jesus Christ is. And what held Jesus up? What equips him to do everything that he does? What was the veil hung on? It was hung on hooks of gold. God's love holds him up. We see God holding him, holding his son, lifting his son on those four sockets of silver. Four gospels, four materials in the, in the thing, in the, in the veil that all point to the four gospels. In fact, if you really want to get trippy, we can go to the four living creatures. You guys remember the four living creatures? They each had what? Four faces, right? You remember their four faces? The four faces of the four living creatures says one of the faces was a lion, one an ox, one a man, one an eagle. Eagle. Well, eagles all throughout the scripture was a picture again of divinity. So the eagle would be likened to the gospel of John, showing Jesus Christ as God. Well, the man, that's easy. Luke presents Jesus as the perfect man, so the face of the man would represent Luke. Ox. Ox was that beast used not only of sacrifice, but also of serving. So we have Mark, which presents Jesus Christ as the suffering servant, the suffering sacrifice. So the ox fits there. And finally, the lion. What's the lion a symbol of? Lion is a symbol of the king. Just about every kingdom in the, on the planet has a lion on its crest somewhere, don't they? Throughout the scriptures, it's no different. The lion is a picture of the king. So in the four faces of the four living creatures, you still see the fourfold gospel picturing or presenting unto us a complete Christ. All four show us the whole picture, each one from their vantage point, their focus on that particular part. Those four pillars holding up the veil of Christ show us or picture for us those four gospels. Well, look. It says, now you will hang the veil from these clasps and then shall bring the ark of the testimony in there behind the veil. And the veil will be a divider between the holy place and the most holy. And you will put the mercy seat upon the ark of the testimony in the most holy. So as they build this, they've got the ark already finished. They got the ark off on the side. As they prepare the covering, that's already prepared. Now, they get the walls up. Once they got the walls up, they put the covering over. Once the covering's over, they hang the veil. When the veil's hung, the Ark of the Covenant goes behind it. And that's the last time anybody but one priest sees it 
until Yom Kippur. Because the way was not yet open for them to have that kind of a relationship with God. We see that in the fulfillment of the prophetic word as Christ gives his life and the veil is then torn. But still presents for us this picture. Well, he says, now you will set a table outside the veil and the lampstand across from the table on the side of the tabernacle toward the south and you will put the table on the side of the north and you will make a screen for the door of the tabernacle woven how? Blue, purple, scarlet thread, fine woven linen made by a weaver. So the same material, every door, the veil, the front door, the door to the gates outside, all made of the exact same material. But look at verse 37. And you will make for the screen how many pillars? Five pillars of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. Their hooks shall be gold and you shall cast five sockets of what? Bronze. It's not silver anymore. So we have this door picturing Christ held up by five pillars. Five pillars. Those five pillars that hold up, perhaps they do. Picture grace. Grace embodied in Christ. Held up by the hooks of gold representing God's love holding up his son. But the bronze speaks of what? Judgment. Jesus Christ will bear the judgment that was intended for us. So that he can work the work of redemption. And he will do that first before we see the sockets of silver. We will see the sockets of bronze. He will pay the price. He who knew no sin would what? Become sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. Folks, in every part, I know we're kind of going slow and it's rough, but every piece, every nook and cranny in the tabernacle is going to point to Christ. And the book of Hebrews expresses that to us, that it all points to him, that it all is expressing him. Five pillars of acacia wood held up and cast with five sockets of bronze for them. Now, when we get to chapter 27, we'll go on with some of the other materials that's going to be on the inside. But again, as we consider this, as we consider the beauty, the thousands of pounds of gold, the thousands of pounds of silver, the thousands of pounds of bronze, and that last slide, if we could have that last slide one more time. All looking like that. Why? Because folks, without a relationship with Jesus Christ, none of this makes any sense. But when we put Jesus Christ in, it all makes sense. Every piece of the puzzle fits. When people look at the scripture and they read the scripture and they say, oh, I don't understand it. I don't get it. It's so confusing to me. The Bible says the natural man can't understand the things of the spirit. But if you take Jesus, if we just read through Exodus and we read this stuff, well, what would be the point of any of it? Why did he tell us? Why did God himself write down the instructions for the tabernacle? Why did God himself hand him the blueprints? He wrote with the finger of God the Ten Commandments. We all remember that, right? But he also gave him these plans. 
on that mountain. Moses is standing before God. God's laying all this out. Why? Why sockets of silver? Why sockets of bronze? Why wood overlaid with gold? What is this all about? I'm sure it confused all of them. But today, as we go through, if we put Christ in the equation, all those pieces start to add up. They start to make sense. They start to paint for us a picture. And that picture is of the work of Christ. Forty years in the wilderness. Jesus said, where two or three of you are gathered, there what? There I am in your midst. Where was the tabernacle? In the middle of the camp. When they were moving, tabernacle is in the middle of the camp. Right in their midst. All throughout the scripture, you'll see it. You'll recognize it. When we want to come to a relationship with God, where do we come to first? First, we find out that we're separated from God by what? This giant linen fence. Linen speaks of what? Purity. Am I pure? No. Can I enter in to a relationship with God? No. The, the purity, the righteous requirement of God keeps me out. How do I get in? Through a door. Who's the door? Jesus Christ. He lets me in. As I come inside, the first thing I come to is a bronze altar, the place of sacrifice. Something must die for my sin. It's a picture of the cross. I come to the cross of Jesus Christ, and I get saved. The very next thing I come to is a bronze labor. After I'm saved by Christ, I come to that bronze labor, which washes me clean. It speaks of being washed in the water of the Word, the work of sanctification, and points to baptism being baptized now after that is that as close as i ever have to come with the lord sure i could stop right there right i'm inside the fence do i have to go into the holy place i don't ever have to go how many people do we know that that's the end of their experience with christ they come into the outer court and that's it but there's more in the holy place, we have the place of service, the place where we can serve God. We enter in and we see the light of Jesus Christ. We see the sustenance, the bread that gives us sustenance. We understand intercessory prayer, all in the place or the work of service. And that's as far as we have to go, isn't it? We don't have to walk through that next veil, that veil which is his flesh, do we? But we can, we can enter into the Holy of Holies, that place of worship where you come face to face with God. Nothing separating you from his presence. The kabod, they would call it. What is kabod? The weight. Or the shekinah, the glory, the light, the weight, the substance of God. The shekinah, the glory of God in the Holy of Holies. But there was only one way to get there, wasn't there? I had to come through Christ, through sacrifice, through cleansing, through service, to enter into His presence. What was true then is still true now. Amen? Why don't you stand with me let's pray. Father, we do thank You for an opportunity, Lord, just to come before You and to allow you, Father, 
in your word. Hopefully, God, we're able to kind of wrap our hands at least quickly around some of these concepts and, and have an understanding, God, that this was all part of your plan. From the foundation of the world, Christ was crucified for us. God, that you love us so much that you paint a picture. This picture wasn't for the nation of Israel. This picture is for us. You painted a picture for us so that we could look back, so that we could see, so that we could see the truth. When Jesus Christ said of the Pharisees, you search the scriptures daily for in them you have life, but it is these that speak of me. Every page, every period, every space, every number, it all speaks of you. And you, Lord Jesus, are the main thing. So God, help us to keep the main thing, the main thing about what we do. Everything we do is about Christ. If it's about anything else, it's, it's pointless. It, it, it has no place. Lord, we want to be about you, about the work that you've done. We want to see, God, that the Old Testament is not something for us to fear or be afraid of or run from, but rather something in which if we pour ourselves out, we can pull out of it, we can mine such incredible treasures as we see you in every page. God, I just pray, Father, that you help us grow, that you help us learn, that you help us, God, not to be satisfied to be in the outer court. I don't want to just be in the outer court. God, I want to be in the holy of holies. I don't want to just receive salvation and stop growing. I want to grow in service. I want to enter into the holy place. I want to come boldly into your throne room, not because I'm good, but because Jesus is the way. And he has become my mercy seat. He shields us from a God that hates sin and loves his son. Help us understand. Help us retain. Help us grow so that we might worship you more fully. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.